L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. I believe this is officially our first strange news segment. We are recording in 2021, so congratulations. Conspiracy realist, uh, you are embarking on this journey together with us. Uh, we have so much news for you, and we've, we, you know, guys, we've been doing something that I think is is pretty neat over the past few weeks with uh, strange news. We've been finding at least one news story that is not a terrible indicator of a dystopian hellscape we found like at least one <laughs> I, every time I, I think it's important you got to maintain balance in the force and all that i mean if, if mm. not for the listeners for our own sanity i would say mm. oh, hold on ben i'm just looking through those stories that we've done recently uh, are you sure a lot, a lot of this looks like hellscape to me well <laughs> we mean, we found some Silver linings, to use the cliche. Well, I was also you know? I was gone for the last two weeks, so I, I can't speak to that. Uh, I can't wait to check it out though and be completely bummed out. <laughs> well, Noel, you you missed super gonorrhea, I think, didn't you? 
Miss is a strong word. I've always missed super gonorrhea. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Well, welcome back, Noel. Uh, We hope you had great adventures. We hope everybody hearing this had uh, some semblance of a break. As we discussed earlier, the calendar as it stands is a relatively arbitrary thing. Uh, But, you know, well, let's take what wins we can get. 2020 was one of those kind of... uh, What's what's it they say in aviation? Any any landing you can walk away from is still any, a landing. Any port in a storm. That's more for the nautical the nautical version. I don't Isn't even know that, if those really are one to one, but they're close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so today we bring you uh, a legal story, a story of burgeoning war, a story of technological ingenuity that could save millions of people, literally. Mm-hmm. Those aren't all the same story. Those are three different stories. Uh, we'll explore them now. This is something, let's start with this one. This is something that's on everybody's minds. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it in the early hours of the of Monday, January 4th, as we record this. Julian Assange, you guys remember uh, a while back, we did an update on Assange, who had been uh, held at the notorious, the infamous uh, Belmarsh prison uh, for for a long time. We saw photographs of the man who was a little, he looked worse for wear. Uh, There were concerns about his mental condition. And we were speculating a little bit as you always have to do. We're speculating whether this was being played up as a way of arguing against his extradition to the United States, where he is wanted on 17 espionage charges and one charge of what's called computer misuse. And this is this is still part of the U.S. attempts to prosecute him for his work with WikiLeaks uh, 10 years ago now. Matt, that's so crazy. It's 10 years ago now. He leaked military and diplomatic documents, right? And the argument on the U.S. side is that in doing so, he placed the lives of civilians and service members in immediate danger. These are charges, of course, that Assange categorically denies. And the argument on his legal team's side is that they are being punished, and Assange is being punished in particular for revealing U.S. violations of international and even domestic law. So you can learn more about the overall case uh, for and against Assange from our previous episodes. You can learn the recent news from our update, which wasn't too long ago, but just today as we were heading into the studio, it became official A British judge has blocked Julian Assange's extradition to the U.S. He is currently not going to the United States. Asterisk, 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 so much fine print as we caveat this. Uh, Folks, peek behind the conspiracy curtain. As we record this, uh, we're recording an episode that you are going to hear on January 11th. Right now, the U.S. authorities have a right to appeal this denial of extradition. They have 15 days to make a case. And, of course, uh, we imagine they will make a case because when we talk about Assange, when we talk about WikiLeaks, I think it's fair to say, stop me if I sound too cynical here, Matt, Noel, 
Doc, I, I think it's fair to say it doesn't matter which political party is in office. I think they'll still try to extradite him. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, what he represents, I think, is a uh, uh, what either side would maybe consider a dangerous precedent for, I mean, it is free speech, but it's also leaking classified documents. So it's sort of like a question of different points of the law. Is it is it him exercising civil liberties as, as a member of the press or is it him breaking the law and putting people's lives in danger or political careers, which I think they're probably more concerned about? Hmm. I think they view it as an affront to the entire system. Uh, the things, the acts that Julian Assange allegedly did, at least what they say he did in working with Chelsea Manning. So they have to make some kind of serious example out of him so that anyone mm. else attempting to do it knows no matter how long it takes, the United States will extradite you mm. back to the U.S., put you in prison, and you will not enjoy it. It will be very, very bad for you. But that's interesting when we look at, I don't want to take us too far off topic, but it's interesting when we look at the recent case of Jonathan Pollard, uh, the the spy for the state of Israel who was convicted, served his sentence in the U.S., and then was given a hero's welcome in that country where he now resides. Uh, that was that was a case of someone being prosecuted for their crime, but they weren't. I don't know. The, it seems like the U.S. government went a little easier on that person, but maybe it's because they already had them in custody and in country. Uh, this this there does seem to be a, an aim to make an example of Assange, especially because they can't get Snowden unless he leaves Russia or is somehow betrayed by the Russian government. Yeah, and just in response to that, I, I would say. Uh, Pollard was, you know, was a spy for Israel, right? And working within the United States. Am I getting that correct? That is correct. So I, this is just my take personally, and I may be completely incorrect, anyone out there listening, but I think the special relationship that the United States and Israel have, I think there's, there's something to that relationship where he wasn't pursued as, as hard as Assange is. Because if you think about Assange, he wasn't working for you know, as a spy for another country, hmm. he was working essentially as a journalist for the public. Um, and I don't mean to say that the United States military and intelligence agencies see the public as the enemy, but it's much more dangerous, I think, for the public a lot of times to know about some of this stuff because it's it makes it way more difficult to get the money mm -hmm. that is needed, right? Because you're then you're you have to worry about elected officials to then, you know, pass the bills and the funding and all of that, rather than with another country where you're at, you may be at odds, but you're still working together. Even if, you know, say Israel, it did get a lot of intelligence out of this, uh, the spy work that he did. Well, it also uh, removes that whole diplomatic layer. I mean, there's still obviously diplomacy involved in extradition and like, you know, demanding they extradite him to, to so we can have our way with him or whatever and make an example of him. But it does remove that whole layer of like working with another country in that to that level. It's funny that you say that, though. I, to me, it seems like the situation you're describing with the spy feels worse and, and more egregious than this. Um, if, it, if it was a spy for a country that we weren't deeply aligned with, I think it would be. Right, yeah, but like isn't Iran. that sort of like, we're like friends. Why you got spy spying on us? I thought we were friends. I thought we were cool. Mm. But that happens all the time. We've all talked about this before, but, you know, friendly countries spy on each other all the time. And, sure. it, and it's always just to make sure you have tabs on what everybody else is doing who's hanging out with you. Fair. Sometimes even harder than 
at your adversaries. So <laughs> let's, maybe let's call them frenemies. Frenemies, indeed. <laughs> yeah. so, so maybe the issue here is that this is just really testing the idea of freedom of the press, like really testing it in a way that maybe we don't want to see it pass that test, like because it opens up all of these doors. You know, if, if he's allowed to do this and run roughshod over all of these 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 rules governing, you know, diplomatic exchanges and cables and whatever classified stuff, then it opens up the doors for anybody to do it and claim freedom of the press. Well, this yeah. is yeah, this is an interesting thing. So the re- the entire reason I bring up Pollard is not just because he was in the news recently. Uh, he was sentenced to life imprisonment. He was released on November twentieth, twenty fifteen, uh, and eventually his parole terms expired in November of last year. So he was free. He served his time, but he was sentenced to life imprisonment under what's called the Espionage Act. And mm-hmm. that is the that is the legal standing the U.S. is taking for their attempted prosecution of Julian Assange, mm-hmm. uh, specifically him working with uh, former defense analyst Chelsea Manning. They say that together he and Manning broke the Espionage Act. So I would be interested to see what sort of sentencing they arrive at with someone who is not ostensibly, to your point, Matt, a servant of a state actor. Now, the strangest part about this story, and the part I don't want anybody to miss, is the logic that the United Kingdom's court systems used in denying extradition. They did not have any beef with the claim that this was a violation of U.S. law. That's right. They didn't even care about that part, really. The judge... Vanessa Barrister said, quote, I find that the mental condition of Mr. Assange is such that it would be oppressive to extradite him to the United States of America because he is a suicide risk. And I have have a couple of red strings to connect to some, you know, thumbtacks here, you guys. This is happening in the wake of the death of Jeffrey Epstein. I think, at the very least, a sizable part of the global population does not believe that man took his own life or they believe he was allowed to do so at the very least. So the whole reason the U.K. isn't sending this guy to a U.S. prison right now is not because they think the case doesn't have merit. They think that something bad will happen to him. They think his chances of never seeing a day in a U.S. court are very, very high. And you know what? We try to keep our opinions out of this or at least be very transparent when we're talking about our opinions. It is my opinion that they are absolutely right. This guy would not make it to court. Yeah, I I tend to agree. And it is interesting. Like you said, they basically ruled in favor of of the U.S. on on every other point. Uh, There was a statement from um, the lawyers on the U.S. side saying, while we're extremely disappointed in the court's ultimate decision, we're gratified that the United States prevailed on every point of law raised. In particular, the court rejected all of Mr. Assange's arguments regarding political motivation, political offense, fair trial and freedom of speech. You know, just just to put in there, the judge also mentioned something about Julian Assange being um, existing somewhere within the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And and her quote was something like single minded determination, essentially, to take his own life and that somehow the prison system would aid and abet that determined that somehow. determination that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's 
pretty crazy that that's the way it has to me. Again, my opinion personally, it is a way to discuss these kinds of things in the open, like like the you know the Epstein situation mm-hmm. where you put him in this place, and perhaps his own determination would allow that to occur because of the the situation at the prison. Not has nothing to do with the guards or anyone allowing anything. It's just it was S- what would happen. Something did what? What indication do we have of his intent to do him to himself harm? His public statements, the statements of his fiance, the statements of uh, people who have psych- who have observed him or interviewed him. It's pretty. It, it's pretty solid. circumstantial. Oh, oh, okay, okay. You think it's <laughs> yeah, solid? It's pretty, yeah, it's it. pretty mm-hmm. solid. I mean, uh, at least the statements are solid. Now, whether or not he in, that is a sincere motivation is a little more difficult to guess. But right now, the worry of self harm and suicide. Uh, I think has much more sand to it than the legal charges against him in the U.S. That conspiracy to commit computer hacking comes from like a line about intent in a chat conversation with Manning, wherein Assange says he's going to ask somebody else to try to guess a password for an encrypted file. And he never actually, it's not proven that he did it. It's just proven that he in this comment said, uh, I, I will try to I'll try to get someone to figure this out for me. Uh, So it does feel like this is more. I mean, keep in mind, this is an Australian national, right? Being extradited from the UK to the US. Yes, they're cozy as kittens because they're part of five eyes. But uh, I don't know. I think that point to journalism is really important here. And also, Matt, one thing you said about being neuroatypical there's a very similar case here with Gary McKinnon. You remember that guy? Mm, who, I do. Uh, hacked into some of Uncle Sam's uh, digital shoeboxes, claims he found evidence of extraterrestrials, UFOs. Uh, he was also not extradited due to similar concerns about his treatment in the U.S. prison system. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't want to freak anybody out. Probably it was nothing. Uh, I have this new chair that I got as a gift for uh, the holidays this year. Uh, It's just an office chair. Something in this room just moved my chair, like physically pushed my chair. There's nobody in this room, you guys. It was me with my mind, dude. I'm I'm not joking. I know I'm saying it out of nowhere, but uh, that literally just happened. So just take that with you. Keep us on tabs here, Matt. Let us know if you have any unusual movements. I've been having a lot of TKPK dreams recently, too, so I'm really? on board with this. Yeah, just chime in as we Dude, continue. My, I'm not kidding. Same. It begins. Dun, 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 Guys, dun, I don't know dun, what that dun, is. Dun, dun, what is, what is T, TKPK? Uh, oh, uh, telekinesis uh, and then uh, psychokinesis. Oh. Kind of two terms for the same thing. I've never heard it put that way. Interesting. So you've had predictive dreams, Ben? Is that what you're saying? Like uh, oh, dreams that come to pass? Oh, that's a sensitive one. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, dreams where I'm moving stuff with my mind. I see. Dreams. It sounds I like see. Matt's having the same, huh? So... Uh, where all those Mandalorian going? episodes you guys have been watching. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's it. Um, but... Uh, we are going to pause here because that's that's the news stands now. Of course, you, the U.S. and Uncle Sam are going to attempt to appeal this. They have to. Uh, we predict that a change in administration in the U.S. is not going to change the course of this prosecution. 
for the reasons we've outlined. Oh, there was one last thing, a heartfelt plea um, from Assange's partner, Stella Morris. It's just very quotable. It's the only reason I want to say it. She says, uh, Mr. President, tear down these prison walls. Let our little boys have their father because they have two little boys together. But I just, it's, it's just so quotable. It's almost like Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I'm sure it's modeled to be that way. I'm sure I mean, it is. You um, want to appeal to emotion because yeah. this has taken place in two courts. And I believe it's 18 months he's been incarcerated. Um, so it's not like, you know, he's gotten off scot-free. But he did, wasn't it he who had some very unusual special treatment in his uh, incarceration? Was that? Didn't well, it depends on whether you're talking about when he was in the embassy. That was what it was. That was what it was. Yeah. So he wasn't incarcerated. Is, he was... No. I mean, stuck there. He was I kicking guess. it. That's, he was right. in That's what I mean. He, he was, was in, in basically like a like a a dorms kind of situation almost. He, like a suite. He was yeah. He was tough to get along with. He was being kind of a bad housemate, according to the reports. But then again, it's really tough to parse some of that because there was so much propaganda going into this on either side. But we are going to keep you updated. We're going to keep ourselves updated on the extradition hearings. Uh, and I would also say that if extradition is denied, it's still not a done deal. Um, I, I don't want to be alarmist, uh, but I will say that accidents happen and we seem to be seeing a lot of international accidents occurring in the past year, in the past few months, probably in, in 2021 too. We'll see more. And with that, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll return with more strange news. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent 
telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Now we are taking a bit of a trip over to the Middle East to hang out in Iran a little bit. Uh, it's a country that has for a long time been beset by adversaries. To many, rightly so, and to many others, it is the last bastion that's uh, set to fight against the powers of the West. Uh, it's a very interesting place. The history of Iran is fascinating, and the amount of learning and education that came out of that country historically is amazing. Again, Ben, ben and Nolan and I have talked about the history of Iran for a long time. And right now, the tensions between Iran and the West are heating up. And they have been for a little while. We talked about it briefly a little bit at the end of last year, I believe in December, maybe November. Um, but right now, Iran has gone back to enriching its uranium supplies. And as of Monday, I believe, it was, it was being reported that officially Iran has captured a South Korean flagged oil tanker right near the Strait of Hormuz, a very important strategic part of the world that, again, we've discussed before on this show. And these are two pretty, pretty big things. Ben, and I'm going to look to you to kind of explore some of this with me. But I know one of the largest dangers, at least that Western powers talk about when it comes to Iran, is their potential to enrich uranium to create nuclear weapons. And a lot of times the the rhetoric that's put forth is that a country like Iran, I'm doing quotations, armed with nuclear weaponry is probably one of the most dangerous things that could exist on the planet. Now, you can argue that point on either side. There's certainly a history of dangerous activity uh, and nuclear weapons are certainly horrifying. 
and have potential to, you know, <laughs> erase humanity eventually after they're used. The other thing here that's going on is that the United States is posturing very, very hard, specifically the United States, but as well as other what we would call Western countries. The United States, in response, has decided to leave a an aircraft carrier that has been hanging out over there in the Middle East um, for a long time. I think it's been since April, maybe, of last year. It's been deployed, the USS Nimitz. It's been deployed in the area for a long time, and the decision was just made to keep it stationed where it has been stationed for a while uh, as a maneuver to, again, apply pressure to Iran as they're making these other moves, enriching uranium, taking an oil tanker captive, essentially. There are, of course, other things that are occurring that are not being reported in the news because they're probably being monitored very closely through intelligence agencies on both sides. But mm -hmm. these are these are some of the most uh, public facing events that have occurred with regards to Iran and Western powers recently. And their position has always been that they were doing this, you know, for energy purposes, correct? Or that this was all like meant to be peaceful and not necessarily, you know, an, an act of aggression. And uh, I know that Trump withdrew from an agreement with uh, with Iran recently over kind of them sort of not following the letter of it, or at the very least, the spirit of it. And he just kind of like threw his hands up and, and uh, exited the agreement. So this is further escalation and, and very clearly not just peaceful, uh, you know, energy, you know, the energy level enrichment of uranium. Well, it's, yes, it's dual use. That's the problem. So it's like, imagine, um, imagine that every microwave oven you create is also a bomb. And the only difference is how far you turn the switch. That's a poor analogy, but it's, it's on the money there. So yeah, in this uh, case, just how long you leave it. In the right. centrifuges. Right. Well, that's right. what I mean, though. That, that 20% number would be weapons grade, and you wouldn't have to go up. No? Is that is that not true? Mm, uh, I think you're looking more in the 90s, right, when you're talking about weapons grade uranium. Well, no, I'm just talking about, like, that 20% number is, is, is relevant. It keeps coming up. Like, they're, you know, 20% enriched uranium is able to be used to create nuclear weapons. Isn't that correct? Um, is it, is it I, the same level of enrichment that would be used to create nuclear energy? I, you know, I'm not a nuclear expert. I'm not an atomic scientist. However, I, I, that's not even a thing. Um, but I know weapons grade level is 90% enrichment. Yeah, oh, for sure. 80 to 90%. Yeah, so yeah. the terms of the 2015 deal uh, restrict Iranian enrichment to 4.5%. But it's really a question of how long one lets the centrifuges spin, which is why it's so dangerous. You don't need other additional equipment. You just need more time. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just change the recipe, but you don't change the kitchen, if that makes sense. There you go. Yep. So I want to step back through some, some very important points you brought up here, Matt. First, uh, the problem with the Nimitz staying in the Middle East is that in a time uh, and a region with great instability, this signals one of the worst things you can signal internationally, which is intense domestic division. Yeah. So from what we understand, there's deep internal domestic division in the U.S. The military ordered the Nimitz away 
but political forces in the U.S. ordered it to return uh, due to, well, speculative concerns that would make the current U.S. administration appear weak. That's a quote. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's their opinion. That's their logic and their calculus. So look at it from the outside. Look at it as a foreign observer. And we have, you know, we have a lot of conspiracy realists listening to this show in the Middle East. We have a lot of people who are conspiracy realists in the Persian Gulf. We have a lot of Iranians who listen to this show. And imagine how insane it must seem to be dealing with this uh this country that has been historically bellicose to you and quite aggressive. And I'm not saying there are any good guys in this scenario, by the way, but imagine uh, you went out on a limb, either sincerely or disingenuously, and said, okay, we'll do this trade deal, just get these sanctions off our back because they're crippling innocent people, which is what sanctions often do as a side effect. Uh, And then all of a sudden, just a few years later, the people you went against Everything you understood about history and trusted turned out not to be trustworthy again. From their perspective, that is what's happening. And so this this ship appears to leave, this aircraft carrier, which is a country destroyer, by the way. These are big bruisers. Uh, This thing, one of, what, 11 that the U.S. has, we have the most in the world. It seems like it's leaving, and then it pulls a U-turn. And it's a very big, wide U because these are very big, wide vessels. And then it just heads back to your neighborhood. Wouldn't you freak out a little? I feel like that's understandable. Yeah. I would freak a little. It, really quickly, too, sorry for my own benefit here. Um, I was just looking it up, and 20% enrichment is considered weapons usable uranium, and it would require a ton of it, uh, and it would be kind of unwieldy for designing a nuclear weapon. It would need to be much more highly enriched to be able to design, like, a, you know, casing that would be more easily deployable. But it is, like, the kind of the minimum for being able to have this material be used for nuclear weapons. So I guess that's why that's the cutoff. Well, you can make a hell of a dirty bomb out of it. Also true. Um, Okay. I kind of want to jump off what you're saying here, guys. Remember also what happened within a year's time. The United States assassinated Soleimani. Soleimani. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, we just did an episode about the Iranian scientist who was assassinated, who was one of of the pioneers of the nuclear program there. Um, There have been a lot of actions taking place where it feels like the walls are closing in a little bit. Um, and then, you know, out on top of it, pulling out of the deal that was struck there. It's just things don't look good, in my yeah. opinion, for 2021 when it comes to Iran and the United States. I, I want to. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. The if this were a weather forecast, the weather forecast would be chance of storms in the mm. worst possible way. Uh, but I do want to I do want to do a clarification and question for the conspiracy realists in the crowd here. So from my understanding, I'm just remembering back to grad school stuff. From my understanding, uh, 20 percent enrichment is not is not practical. I think it's charitable to call it weapons usable. Mm. The The big issue is that. The most difficult part of the enrichment process, and again, if I understand this correctly, if my CIA spook professors were telling the truth, then, uh, yeah, I said it, uh, then the the enrichment process is most difficult from zero to 20%. And once you get to that 20% number where you need it to get to 
something you can make a warhead or a bomb from at 90%, that's much easier, much, much easier. Just leave it in the oven, like you said, right? Right. So from like step one is zero, step two is 20, it's very difficult to get to step two, but then step three is just like, I'm snapping my fingers. I don't know if that translates to audio, but the, uh, but that's why, that's why not for nothing, uh, people who are historically antagonistic toward Iran are saying this is proof positive that they have decided to build weapons. I will also add, without making any unfounded accusations, I will also add that the historical precedent is this. When countries say they are researching nuclear weapons solely for peaceful purposes, they are lying. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're just lying to themselves. But, but they're yeah. they're lying because the technology is there. You know what I mean? You're not going to, if things get dicey on down the road, you're not going to say, ah, well, we can totally do this, but we told ourselves we wouldn't. So, gee willikers. It's like Frodo swore he would never put on the ring, but he was compelled to do so because, you know, he was just drawn to it. I know that's a stupid analogy, but it's no, like, it's, a good one. I like it's, that it's, one. it's literally like once you get to the edge of that power, why not just take another step, you know, especially if it levels you up and and, and, and puts you on a, a new playing field, you know, uh, among people that, that mean to do you harm or at the very least undermine you as a sovereign nation. And once you reach that point, once you reach the nuclear weapon finish line, then you enter a new realm. You enter a new level in the hierarchy of states and governments. Uh, consider this, you know, North Korea doesn't even have a, a perfect nuclear weapon. They just have the nuclear capacity, and it changed the way they were negotiated with. South Africa walked away from its nuclear program, officially at least. Uh, Libya voluntarily stepped off the path to becoming mm -hmm. a nuclear state. And, you know, for many dictators, what happened to Gaddafi after that is a lesson they have not and will not forget. So you can see why uh, countries that have antagonistic relationships with their neighbors or with the world's superpowers feel like that risky finish line may not just be worth it, but it may be imperative to their continued existence. Again, we are not arguing that any of these things are right. We're just trying to explain the perspectives that the various players here have. If you're the government of Saudi Arabia, if you're the government of Israel, the last thing you want is a nuclear-capable Iran. Like, that is the last thing. You would be so against a nuclear Iran that you would, uh, you would choose almost any alternative. I was trying to think of something with some levity, but uh, I don't know if it's really a time to have levity right now. Yeah. This is deep water. Mm -hmm. Well, it is. And remember, Iran is, is under heavy sanctions. A ton of their assets are frozen across the world in different places, including in South Korea, uh, which is which has something to do with why that tanker was taken into custody, let's say. Did you see the claim um, that they were polluting the the uh, the strait or the, the body of water there? And that's what, what they uh, use as an excuse for having taken it? Sure, but it's known that billions of dollars are frozen in in Seoul right now, mm -hmm. and they were they were actually there was going to be a representative from South Korea, like a diplomat who was supposedly traveling there to Iran to discuss those funds and what would happen to them. Um, uh, who knows what's going to actually occur there? 
But all of this stuff is pretty terribly frightening. I wanted to, I have an ulterior motive, guys. One of the main reasons I wanted to bring this up was to mention the Nimitz. Do you guys remember what the Nimitz was involved with? I don't. The USS Nimitz? No. Mm-hmm. You remember, remember that UFO video, the mm-hmm. Nimitz incident, where the fighter pilots saw the very strange thing oh, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and it got leaked and then... What is it for the Stars Academy? That's right. That was the big, big first debut. one that everyone was like freaking out about. Oh, Those... Elizondo left to the Stars, by the way. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, yeah, unrelated. But yeah, I, I like where you're going here with this, Matt. All right. Well, it's your motive. That's the one where there's audio <laughs> from the pilots, right? There's audio from them saying, "What the hell is that? Is that the one?" Yes. Yeah. I think this is the Tic Tac one. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners out there. But this is this is the one where these pilots in 2004 were they were operating from the USS Nimitz when they encountered whatever that thing was in the air that they encountered just thought that was fascinating and i ended up going down a pretty pretty deep rabbit hole about just how many navy encounters have come from being over just international waters in the ocean and mm-hmm. and fighter pilots and oh my goodness oh yeah and, and, even stuff that isn't well documented, but just the stories that are out there and whether or not they're folklore or have some kind of true grit to them, it is fun to read and I would recommend it. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I found it interesting. Of course, that is an aircraft carrier. It deploys jets all the time for all kinds of different maneuvers, you know, for training exercises as well as for operations. Only a small percentage of those encounter any kind of unidentified objects. I just think the Nimitz itself, I don't know, being there for some reason, it puts weird pieces together for me personally. (laughs) We also have to consider the U.S. administration recently has had some troubling internal talks about escalating the situation into a hot war. I'll be honest, not because of what I would argue are sincere worries about the state of affairs in that part of the globe. I think they are meant to shore up domestic support here in the U.S., which is a terrible reason to start a war. You know what I mean? Because it's saying, it's just callous. Uh, Mm. There's also the idea, hey, Matt, maybe uh, maybe the entire reason that the West has been trying to uh, turn Iran back into a puppet state for so long, because remember it was until the 70s, uh, thanks to the U.S. It was, uh, maybe the reason they're trying to turn it back into a puppet state is to acquire some ancient thing hidden in the ground from the days of ancient Persia. You guys, we got, <laughs> we got a voicemail from somebody that I don't think I can name right now, but mm. from somebody who told us a story about the invasion of Iraq. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, it was the it was the second time. It wasn't, you know, Desert Storm and mm. the Iraqi war with, you know, with Kuwait and, and all of that situation. This was 2003 when the United States invaded Iraq for the second time. Sacking of the museum, right? Sacking the museum, but also, and also the story that this person told us was about a UFO crash in Iraq that, that was the reason we went back into Iraq specifically for this one UFO, because allegedly the United States and other Western powers were nervous that that extraterrestrial technology would get in the hands of an adversary. 
Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, I love that stuff. I don't believe it necessarily, mm-hmm. but I love it. I can tag the necessarily on that. <laughs> yeah. I, had a, I wrote a story that was entirely fictional in my head, but was that scenario? What if the ulterior motive for invading various Middle Eastern countries, Iraq in particular, was not some kind of geopolitical uh, resource extraction control move? What if it was to retrieve some ancient artifact? And so I have a story about the museum of the, the sacking of the Iraq museum before I realized it was real. And in the future, I do a little more research before I write fiction, but Got yeah. it. I love the idea of a, a good sacking, you know, well, how come we don't refer to people getting fired as being sacked like they do in the UK or as like, you know, conquering something, sacking it. It's, it's, it's such a classy term. Big fan. Uh, oh, I think they call it redundancy in the UK now. Yeah. But if you just, get sacked, that means you got fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one ever, outside of rugby, no one ever gets sacked in a good way. Right? There's a football thing too, right? Isn't that what they call it a sack? Quarterback mm-hmm. sack? Mm-hmm. Maybe I made that up. I don't know. Uh, Matt, you really drew some interesting lines uh, with this one. that I was, I was not expecting it to go there. Lots of, lots of food for thought and, and a, definitely a story to watch. Well, if, if extraterrestrials were real, were visiting our planet for some reason, wouldn't it make sense if they were monitoring perhaps what would be considered World War Three if yeah. it broke out, especially mm-hmm. with nuclear weapons? Especially the if they need us to harvest us for something or if they need, you know, not an entirely scorched planet so they can get some use out of it. And for the record, since at least 2003, the government of Iran has consistently maintained that it has no intention to develop nuclear weapons. Just want to give their official statement there to be fair. Uh, I would love to hear from our listeners in Iran, in the region. Want to hear your take on this. What, what do you think is going on? What is behind the move to increase the enrichment percentage? Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be, we'll be right back. <laughs> L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast. 
live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with uh, one last strange news story. And this is that silver lining story that Ben was talking about at the top of the show after uh, a little bit of doom and gloom. It admittedly went to, to, to aliens for a bit, but then we pivoted back to scorched earth alien scenarios. Uh, but you know what two things people really like are? Uh, one is ice cream and two is not being afflicted with the deadly virus. Uh, and it turns out there's some crossover between those two things. Mm. Do you, are you guys aware of the Novelty ice cream company Dippin' Dots. Intimately. Yes. Intimately. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, my personal favorite flavor of theirs is Banana Split. Um, uh, it turns out they actually have some pretty advanced technology that they use to create those those Dippin' Dots, uh, which if anyone isn't aware, they're basically like these little tiny spheres of ice cream. And they're different flavors. So, like, they're, you know, with the banana split one, I think it's like chocolate ones, little, little chocolate ice cream ones, and they're, they're tiny. And uh, then banana ones. And in between the two, you get banana split. And then you can mix and match your flavors. It's a whole thing. It's a delight. You see them at zoos and, you know, um, amusement parks and things. They have little trolleys that they serve them outside. Uh, but it turns out they have a really impressive um, production chain that they've figured out how to scale really, really well. And they deliver something in the neighborhood of 100 million servings of Dippin' Dots every year. Um, and one thing they've managed to figure out how to do is regular freezers only keep things cold down to like zero degrees. Whereas the Dippin' Dots freezers and the, the manufacturing process, um, 
keep them cold down to minus 49 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, they have billed themselves as the ice cream of the future. Um, a lot of... <laughs> since 1988? Since 1988. <laughs> they were invented by a microbiologist. I didn't know any of this. Um, but, well, we, we know from everything that's been going on in the news with the vaccine, all good news, all very effective vaccines being created. There's sort of a space race going on between these different manufacturers, but it turns out we need them all because we got a lot of people to vaccinate. Well, the first one to market was from Pfizer uh, BioNTech, and um, theirs has sort of a little bit of a Achilles heel. It needs to be stored at minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit or else certain components in the vaccine can actually degrade and cause it to be ineffective. Um, and it also has to be manufactured and then shipped uh, all over the place, all over the country at the very least. Um, and, you know, eventually all over the world. Uh, so, Sorry, Noel, did you say minus 94 degrees? Yeah. Needs wow. to be stored at minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Okay. And uh, really quickly to double back, when I said that the Dippin' Dots machines or the Dippin' Dots freezers uh, – go down to minus 49. That is mm. the minimum that the ice cream is requires to stay in that beaded form. Their uh, freezers actually go down much lower than that. I think they go down to like uh, minus a hundred or, or lower. Uh, and then again, that, Pfizer vaccine has to be maintained at minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit or else it becomes useless. Um, so, yeah, this is essentially a technology that is not available at scale in this way because it's just no aside from this ice cream company. There aren't very many products or pharmaceutical, um, you know, pharmaceuticals that require storage at that level of cold. But it turns out that, you know, um, Dippin' Dots has been at this for a long time, and they've created this supply chain that they refer to as a cold chain infrastructure that standardizes, according to a really great article from Popular Science, uh, standardizes every step of the process from manufacturing to uh, packaging to shipment in this entire single long chain uh, and distribution and all of that. So uh, it, it turns out that they've got a lot to offer um, Pfizer in terms of like what they can learn and how they can maybe even lease or buy some of their freezers in order to like, you know, help uh, spread the vaccine around. Because like I said, standard freezers bottom out at zero degrees Fahrenheit, which isn't going to do the trick. So let's talk a little bit about how these lovely, delightful novelty ice cream dots are made. Uh, you might have had them at your local science center, perhaps a, an aquarium or of some sort. Um, so Dippin' Dots get their little bead-like shape from this process called pelletizing. Um, so the ingredients that go into making ice cream, which is milk and sugar and the flavorings and all that, they're mixed together and then dripped drip dripped into this chamber and brought to minus 320 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's done with liquid nitrogen. So it's so cold that the droplets freeze in place immediately into these little beads. They kind of look like little packing beads or something like that, or the kind of beads like in silica gel pouches there. That's, that's about the size of them and about the shape. Um, and then they move into a minus 40 degree Fahrenheit freezer, uh, that is like designed very specially so that it like limits heat exchange, uh, significantly. And then it goes through quality check. And then the ice cream goes into these cute little pouches or what? Well, yeah, they're kind of pouches. They're little like, yeah, they are pouches. You kind of like can squeeze them out. Uh, and that's when they're shipped. So, 
we've talked about this in the past too, just the idea of like medical packaging. It's a mm. very specialized field. Like there's all kinds of interesting innovations that have to go into packaging for pharmaceuticals that wouldn't go into packaging for any other kind of consumable product. Um, so Pfizer already has somewhat of a system where they use these pizza trays, they call them, um, that they used for shipping doses of the vaccine. Each one of them gets loaded up with 195 vials of the frozen vaccine. Um, and this is coming from uh, Julie Swan, who's a health systems expert at North Carolina State University. Um, so apparently a minimum order is a thousand doses. So that's like how they're kind of bundled up. So the goal is to vaccine as many people as humanly possible um, and, and send not have any doses go to waste. So she had this to say in the PopSci article, uh, quote, they probably designed it with the idea that someone would take out an entire tray at a time. And for a mass vaccination clinic, that's great. It's just, it's harder when we're trying to vaccinate priority populations and they're all spread out. So enter Dippin' Dots um, to kind of help them learn how to solve this problem. Um, they're still going to use the pizza trays and the, uh, Chief Development Officer for Dippin' Dots, a guy named Stan Jones, talks about in the article how they, you know, were able to kind of bring this process to a massive, massive scale. Like I said, shipping around 100 million servings across the entire planet. So he is now working directly with folks from Pfizer and figuring out how they can integrate this technology into distributing the vaccine. And I think that's delightful. It's really interesting how what I would consider sort of a goofy novelty ice cream thing that I very rarely think of has this technology that's like borderline proprietary that no one else is quite cracked. I mean, I'm sure there are other like, you know, very low temperature free. It's not like they are the only ones that know how to like get temperatures this low, but they have it built into this incredible supply chain. Um, and I just think it's a really interesting uh, example of like teamwork kind of. I don't know. At the very least. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's really cool. I kind of just want them to go all the way to have Pfizer, you know, really, truly get together with Dippin' Dots and get those carts just full of mm -hmm. vaccines and just roll around, you know, just every city vaccinating everybody. Yeah, that's, that's not scary. <laughs> well, because we were we were a little bit. um naive in our previous estimations about COVID-19 corruption and counterfeiting and people jumping the proverbial line, it turns out that uh, things have been bungled so profoundly that vaccines are expiring and going right. bad. Right, so right. Dippin' Dots could really uh, hop in and help out here. I also think it's funny. I enjoy this. I Time is so funny. I don't know who will remember this. Uh, but years back, it emerged that one of the press secretaries of the current administration, you know, these there were tons of these over the past four years. They kept getting fired. Talking about Spicer? Uh, a guy named Sean Spicer uh, had a ongoing, very odd, maybe not totally serious, feud with Dippin' Dots. Way back on April 8th, 2010, he wrote Dippin' Dots is capital, not the ice cream of the future. And he continued, like, finding reasons to talk trash wow. about Dippin' Dots. As Michael Scott said in the office, how the turntables, Scott. How do you like <laughs> those dots now? Yeah. I always felt people were unfair to Dippin' Dots. I uh, immensely enjoy the novelty. I don't think there's anything 
nothing wrong with enjoying a shape of a dessert or a treat. If you like fruit by the foot or you prefer fruit loops, then Godspeed and more power to you. Uh, this, this also, I hope, I do hope that this goes better than the ill-fated um, Kodak vaccine assistance because uh, a while back in the early days of the of the what history will call the first uh, pandemic of, of this uh, this decade, uh, a while back, our government gave a seven hundred and sixty five million dollar loan to Kodak uh, with the idea that they would be able to use some of their chemical know-how to produce critical ingredients for COVID-19 treatments. That turned out not to be the case, but Dippin' Dots is already using uh, technology that they have. They've established it. It's right. reliable. It's reproducible. It's scalable. So good on you, Dippin' Dots. I look, I look forward to this. I, I completely agree. It is very good on Dippin' Dots. Uh, there are a few little wrinkles, uh, one of which is that these freezers – they are really only looking to be leased because, you know, once the vaccine cycle is over, I mean, the government or Pfizer or whomever doesn't want to have like a gazillion of these super low temperature freezers that they're stuck with and don't know what to do with. Also, uh, according to Jones from Dippin' Dots, you can't really return them back to production. Uh, in terms of like putting foodstuffs back in them once you've stored these medical supplies in them. So it's a little bit tricky. Uh, there's also the issue of, of paying for it, right? Because these vaccines are going to be free and they're going to be distributed and the money has to come from somewhere. So, you know, I mean, like Dippin' Dots obviously wants to help, but they can't sacrifice their entire fleet of, uh, of freezers and go under without some compensation. So it's ultimately going to be passed on somewhere, uh, whether it's in the loss of other programs or, or however that, that money is going to get soaked up. But uh, really interesting story and one that I, I'm surprised hasn't uh, hasn't been been a little bit more top of mind for folks. This is from a, a week or so ago, um, and I haven't heard any like new details as to what are they doing? Are they moving forward with it? Because I know that the rollout has been pretty troubled. Um, so maybe they haven't quite gotten to this step yet. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if Dippin' Dots does end up being the hero that we all <laughs> maybe we, we didn't know we, we needed, but we definitely deserve. I, I don't know if I'm getting dessert. OK, I'm done. There there it is. You know, this is brilliant. I wonder how many times the trademarked name Dippin' Dots has been said on air across the news over the past couple of days. Oh, yeah, yeah good point. <laughs> That's a good, great. It's a good point. It's great. I mean, how many times has it been said in today's show? Well, it's fun to oh. say. I mean, I'm not going to – Dippin' Dots, Dippin' Dots, Dippin' Dots. It's fun. Did Did you guys see the recent video that came out with uh, about Velcro, the, the brand name Velcro? Mm -mm. There is a fantastic video you can find online of, I believe they are patent attorneys, or maybe they're just attorneys who, you know, control the patent of Velcro, a trademarked name. Ah, the Velcro trademark. Okay. Well, and it's about how if we as, you know, humanity continue to refer to the hook, uh, what is it, hook and loop mm -hmm. technology as Velcro, they will lose their patent. They'll lose oh, yeah. their their trademarked patent because it would then just be a generic thing. Velcro would be the generic name. They can no longer make billions of dollars or whatever on that trademark for the, all these other companies using the technology. I don't know. It's just, it reminds me of this. <laughs> what you're talking about is what's sometimes called a proprietary eponym. 
or a genericized go. trademark. Like when people, often people in the West say uh, Google when they mean internet search or yeah. Xerox yeah. when they mean to make a copy. Or Coke so when they mean a soda. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That's a good example too. So it might be a situation where not too long from now, uh, people say they got the dip and dot and they're referring <laughs> to the little mark of the injection point of their vaccine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I have to say, that's a really good point, Ben, but I do think it's funny that, like, since 1988, no one else has tried to copy Dippin' Dots in terms of, No, like, they have. Really? There was, mm-hmm. like, Mini, there was a company, oh, my God, it was a long time ago, Mini mm-hmm. something. Uh, Yeah, you know, like, uh, Dunkin' Dabs. <laughs> <laughs> They're a uh, specific type of thing made by Dunkin' Donuts, available only in California and Colorado. Holy cow! I just googled it, and and there's a there's a page on Reddit called Crappy Off Brands, uh, mm-hmm. and and one of them is called Itsy Bits. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> uh, little bits. There's different ones. Yeah, but okay. To, to to be fair, still not ubiquitously, not with great success. Let us say, because uh, I've always thought of Dippin' Dots as pretty niche, but a hundred million servings a year. That's pretty pretty high well yeah and then also what's a serving because are they cooking the books because one dot is not a serving that's a good I point i don't mean to sound like no. a, a glutton here but i you got to get at least a cup i didn't know this but you know another example of proprietary eponyms would be dumpster dumpster is a brand name you guys or porta, I potty. Know or, or porta potty i bet porta potty is a brand as well i almost guarantee mm. yeah like wow. the real name for dumpster it was pat is like a patented thing made by some people called the Dempster Brothers back in 1936. We're supposed to call them mobile garbage bins. So everybody <laughs> listening to the show, be cool. Don't get our yeah. don't get the rest of us sued. It's a when mobile you, garbage yeah. bin if you're around a narc. When you get a cut put on a plaster, let's let's go the UK way there. Well what? When you need bleach, <laughs> use bleach. Isn't that's that's an okay thing to say. Don't call it the C word. It's tissue, uh, not a Kleenex. <laughs> Itty bits. Itsy no, bits. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please. I, I don't want to be I don't oh. be that way. If you use these words as just regular terminology, then some big company doesn't make a ton of money. Uh, and and yeah. just, just to confirm, Porta Potty yeah. is a brand. The uh, official name for that is Chemical Toilet. Oh, sexy, sexy. That's also the name of a band it that is. Max starts in Always Sunny. And You're Dark absolutely Dark. right. Oh, yeah. my God. So, we learned so much today. I've got, okay, one anecdote that might be interesting to the uh, longtime, longtime How Stuff Works people. Uh, back in the day, several of us did a show called Stuff of Genius, and we actually ran into something like this. I can't remember if we tried to do this with Dippin' Dots, but we ran into legal issues with things that you would think were very innocuous, like frisbee and trampoline in particular. You have to call them the flying disc, and I think we couldn't even make the trampoline episode. Hopefully whatever statute of online videos has passed now that we can say that. But good on you, Dippin' Dots. That's awesome. Thank you for bringing... Thank you for bringing some light to the end of this dark segment. And then one last thing in this Reddit page, crappy off brands. um, There's a whole segment on Dippin' Dots and Itsy Bits. And someone jokes that Itsy Bits uh, tagline should be the ice cream of the time that happens after now. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's fantastic. The ice cream uh, of the time that happens after yeah, now. It's not quite as sexy as the ice cream of the future, but hopefully Sean Spicer would approve. But yeah, that was fun, you guys. I'm glad we got to end on, on a little bit of, uh, is this etymology? I don't know. Kind of. Not really. More like brand brandomology, but uh, a good time just the same. Mm-hmm. And we hope you enjoyed this as well. Uh, thank you, as always, to everybody who is tuning in. We want to hear from you. Are Dippin' Dots the ice cream of the future? Where do you stand? Let us know. Uh, what do you think is actually happening over in Iran? What are the ulterior motives? And, of course, we want to hear from you, whatever your neck of the global woods is. We particularly like to hear from our listeners who have lived in Iran or are there now. And, of course, also Assange. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think he will manage to stay in the United Kingdom, do you think you will ever see Australia again? Do you think he wants to? Uh, we'd like to hear from you. We try to make it easy to find us here on the internets. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We particularly like to recommend uh, the number one uh, page on all of the internet, other than the uh, Dippin' Dots homepage. That is Here's Where It Gets Crazy uh, with the best mods in the business. Find us there. Find the best part of the show, your fellow listeners. If you hate social media, we've got a couple other ways you can talk to us. Yeah, you can call us. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. Hey, uh, it was the holidays recently, and I just want to put out my heartfelt apologies to... Everyone that got a phone call from me after a couple of beers in, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. <laughs> um, sorry for for making your probably evening awkward you while you're hanging out at awesome. your parents' house. You probably awesome. made their awesome. freaking Christmas, dude. Yeah, that's I'm great. Sorry. No more self deprecation. They probably feel bad because they did, they didn't get you a gift. You know yeah. what I mean? But that's that's great. People do need to know those three minutes. They do belong to you. They're yours to do with as you will. There is a non-zero chance in the technical parlance. There's a non-zero chance that you may get a call back. Because remember, when you stare deeply into the abyss, sometimes the abyss rings you, Mm -hmm. I guess. Sometimes that abyss's name is Matthew Frederick. (laughs) Or other people. That is exactly what it's like. We don't know. Uh, But what if you hate the phone? Well, hold the phone or don't because you hate the phone and you probably don't want to touch it. You can use the internet in another slightly older school way. You can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far... I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.